Hey, and welcome to the Sea Creatures podcast, a show all about the amazing animals that live beneath the waves. Each episode, we chat about a specific marine creature with a guest who has spent time and interacted with this ocean animal. Our guests range from marine biologists to divers to underwater photographers, citizen scientists, and people that have an intense passion for marine life. My name's Matt Testoni, and I'm all of the above. And joining me for this episode of Sea Creatures Podcast is Nigel Marsh. Nigel's a photojournalist and altogether fish guy who knows and has published a lot of books and has a special obsession with rays. Welcome to the show, Nigel. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure. So when I think of rays, your name kind of comes up in my head automatically. Why do you love rays so much? Or what is it about rays that appeal to you? Oh, I love all marine life, but I've particularly always been fascinated by sharks and rays and as most people know more about sharks, I, I kind of focus more on their lesser-known cousins. Um, so I've become fascinated by rays ever since I first encountered a, a big smooth stingray when I was a, about a 10-year-old snorkeling um, north of Sydney at Terrigal. And since then, I've encountered you know quite a number of species, but you know there's over 600 species, so I've still got a long way to go before I see quite a lot of them. How many species have you seen so far? What's your count at? I think my count is probably around 70 but i've only photographed about 40 species so there's been quite a few that i've seen that haven't been able to photograph because some of them are quite elusive like the mobular rays and some of the eagle rays are a bit hard to get close to but yeah it's going to be in some you know you've got a lot of species that live in very deep water as well that you're never going to see anyway so if i get to 100 i'd probably be very happy (laughs) (laughs) that's like just that's a crazy amount like I know personally, I photographed some devil ray, pygmy devil rays once. And um, yeah, I got a few like, uh, like questions from scientists being like, where did you find them? And yeah, I didn't realize that there were so many really rare rays that just kind of pop up and then disappear. Yeah. But even some of the common ones aren't that common that, you know, they are, they've got quite large numbers, but you just don't see them. And you know, like sharks, a lot of them have also declined in numbers due to fishing pressures as well so seeing some species is very difficult like the sawfishes um have been here but most of them are critically endangered because they get captured in nets and the fishermen you know either kill them when they're getting out of the nets just to stop themselves from getting injuries or the sawfish drown in the nets themselves so so there's a lot of species we're probably never going to go and see because they've become extinct before you know divers even get to see some of them it's unfortunately a part of the the modern world at the moment although i did see um some pretty positive behavior recently and like there's always a lot of pressure especially in victoria with rays and there is the rays awareness campaign i think we're moving forward but as you said i think there will be some species that we just never get to know but what what is a ray so if you don't really know what a ray is or you're kind of like i know a stingray i've heard of it but what what is a ray rays are close related to sharks so in effect they're like exactly the same as a shark but they've got their pectoral fins fused with their head and instead of having their gills on the side of their head the gills are actually on the underside so apart from that they share a lot of features with the sharks and you actually get some rays that have got shark-like shape and features but the way to tell them apart is basically that they will have their gills on the underside of their body rather than on the side of their body they've got that smiley lips and they've got their gills under there but you know it's also having those the head fused because you'll get some shark species like the angel shark and wobbegongs, which you know, are ray-like in shape. And there's rays like the, the banjos and the fiddler rays and the shovel noses, which look like sharks as well. But you know, the big difference is that, that gill location, uh, the fused uh, pectoral fins with the head. Oh, wow. So, that, I mean, if you ever see like, you know, a shark or a ray or you're unsure, just have a look for the gills. I guess that's some pretty cool advice. 
So I was just going to say, most of the rays have also got large spherical openings around the eyes, like an additional gill where they can suck in. Because a lot of species like the stingrays and the uh, stingarees are bottom drawers and they, and they lie in the sand, uh, rather than breathing water through their mouth and getting a mouthful of sand, they've actually got these large spherical holes just around the eyes, um, which are actually uncovered, so they can breathe through them and then breathe out their gills. So they wow. don't end up with a mouthful of sand. Wow, that, it's kind of like a human nose. You can like kind of breathe <laughs> still while your mouth's virtually, occupied. Yeah, virtually like nostrils. And you do get some sharks that have, have got, you know, all sharks have got spiracles, but they're so tiny you can't see them. But you get a couple of bottom-dwelling sharks which have got slightly bigger spiracles because they do a similar sort of thing. Oh, wow. I mean, that's such a good point. Like when you said like, their um, gills are underneath. I didn't even think that, yeah, you always see rays just sitting on the bottom. And yeah, wow. And I've actually seen a few of those holes before that you were talking about. And they're, they're fascinating. If they're sitting on the bottom, you can actually watch the spherical open and close. It's got a little membrane, which you know, stops sand going in as well if they're under the sand with that. Because they do get sand on their back as well. So you don't particularly want to be breathing in sand all the time. <laughs> yeah, especially when they kind of bury themselves. And, and that's one cool yeah. behavior you should talk about too, is because... Do not all rays bury themselves, but lots of rays bury themselves in the sand, don't they? A lot of species do for defence. Yeah, you because know, you'll get some of even some of the giant stingrays, which are over two metres wide, will bury themselves in the sand as a defensive mechanism. And it's mainly sharks and orcas are the main predators of rays. Sharks have got pretty sensitive noses, and over there, ampules of Lorenzini, they can detect electrical signals, so they can find them in the sand. So even burying in the sand doesn't really stop shark species finding them. Yeah, and so talking about predators, what like how does a ray defend itself? They've got spines on their tails, and unfortunately they have killed the odd person. By, and it's only a defensive act, so they're not really dangerous to most people. Poor old Steve Irwin got jabbed by a stingray, but it was only defending itself thinking it was under attack. So they do have these spines on their tail, which do vary in number. Some stingrays actually have two or three. Um, some only have one, but some of them can be almost a foot long. And they were used as um, used for spear tips by Aboriginals up in the Torres Strait. And other cultures have used them as uh, weapons as well, because they're quite a lethal little weapon. And the interesting thing is, if they do break off, they do regrow. They're a defensive weapon that they can regrow. So fishermen you know, don't need to, if they hook a, a ray, now, don't chop the tail off it if you're worried about removing the hook because they can't regrow a tail, but you can remove the barb for safety reasons and the ray will regrow the barb. Oh, wow. Crazy fact. Because I was looking up ray facts and I did not come across that. So that's pretty awesome. It was never in any literature I could ever find, you know, when I was growing up and that. I'm not mentioning any books. And then I was actually talking to one of the guides at one of the underwater aquariums saying, oh, yeah, well, did you know our stingrays grow back their barbs? And I go, no. But then it makes sense because for self-defense, if they're jabbed um, at Great Hammerhead, it's no good if you've got one barb and used it up and then you've got, you know, you've only got one defense the rest of your life. (laughs) They do regrow. And I mean, it's interesting, like, because I, I spent a lot of time swimming around, like, the smooth rays we mentioned, which are big, like, you know, one and a half meter wide rays with these huge barbs. And I find that um, once they, the friendly ones or the ones that have seen humans before, they're, they're really no threat with their barb as long as you treat them with a bit of respect. But you do get some around different seasons, which are a bit more, like, scared or a bit more nervous around you. You can kind of tell. That depends. Yeah, I've encountered quite a lot of smooth stingrays, you know. I grew up in Sydney, so they're a common um, stingray around Sydney as well. And I've had quite a few 
close encounters. And if you do corner them, they will get defensive. They don't like being boxed in. Um, and I've run across them in caves and that where they've you know, not been happy with me and lifted tail to tell me to back off. But they, they also get very defensive at breeding time. So I've actually come across an amorous male trying to court a female and I was getting close to get some photos. I was snorkeling down to have a look and she was lifting the tail, pointing it at him and at me, telling us both to you know, <laughs> move off because she wasn't interested in either of us. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. They're very reluctant to actually jab somebody. So, you know, it's very unlucky if somebody gets jabbed. It's, you know, fishermen step on them occasionally. You know, if you capture one and you're, you know, that's the main chance you have of getting jabbed. But, you know, divers only occasionally have been jabbed themselves because, you know, they would generally swim away if they feel threatened and that they lift the tail as a last resort. And if you don't take note of that, then you, know, you should yeah. be backing off. Yeah. And I think, as you said, like cornering them. So like I often, I always tell people like, you know, you don't want to surround it. It's okay to like, have one swim towards you and you swim, be swimming in the direction because they'll, they'll respect your space. But it's if you crowd it that they get quite defensive. But um, my favorite experience though is when you come across them at night and you're swimming along and you turn a corner and they've turned a corner at the same time, you bump heads almost. <laughs> and I don't know who gets the biggest shock, you know, me or the oh, quite They get just as big a shock as you do at times when you run into them. You come around a corner and one bumps into you and you're like, oh, <laughs> you both take <laughs> off in different directions. <laughs> And so what do rays eat? What's their primary food? It depends on the species because you've got little smaller stingarees, which will grub in the sand for like worms and crustaceans and that. But your larger stingarees will eat crabs and fish that they dig up or can grab. Um, But then you get, you know, by the time you get up to manta rays and, you know, the mobulars, they feed on plankton and that. So there is a, a variety of diets depending on the species. So depending on... You know, the habitat as well, because the bottom-dwelling ones obviously dig in the sand for food, while your um, manta rays and mobulus, they feed on plankton. Yeah, and yeah, because the, the manta rays and the mobulus, they kind of do like a little swirling dance to collect their food, don't they? Like they kind of do these circular turns, and I believe that like, scoops up the, the plankton, doesn't it? Yeah, well, they've got those symphalic fins, which they're those big fins that dangle at the side of their head, which they can fan out to, you know, funnel in food into their big wide mouth because you get a manta, a big manta will have a metre wide mouth as well. So it swims through the water, swallowing up huge quantities of plankton as it goes through. And they'll, if they find a good concentration of food, they'll do somersaults within it and just keep bowling around. And you'll actually get a group of them at times swirling around and there might be a dozen of them playing follow the leader and just swirling around this concentration of food, trying to get up as much of it into their mouth as possible. Because when you're eating small krill and things like that, you obviously got to you know, shovel down a lot to get your fill. <laughs> <laughs> One thing on their feeding that, I, and this is a question I really wanted to ask, they have their kind of their skirt around them or their like fins around them. And when they eat a crab or something, they kind of hover over the top and then they just kind of form a little suctiony thing. But how, they can't actually see what they're eating because their eyes are on their head and their mouth's underneath. Do you know how, how does that work? Or how do they, they just blindly bite around or... No, they're like sharks. They've got electrosensors. They've got highly attuned sensors to find the, their prey. They can smell prey and they've got, they can detect faint electrical signals of prey in the sand. So when they're digging with their mouth, they generally know where they're, their general spot they're digging and then they grub with their mouth and use a kind of suction action as well if something's buried a bit further in the sand and that to extract it. But they can locate it quite successfully. Ah, because, yeah, it, it does look like they're just eating blind, which is, which is crazy. 
and they've got very powerful jaws. If, um, even though they've got tiny, you know, their teeth are like crushing plates more so, to, like stingrays especially, because they, they feed on crabs and different shells and that, so they crush the prey up. Even though they don't have, they're not sharp. They've, it's If you get your hand stuck in there, which I have done once when I was in an aquarium feeding the stingrays, and the guy said, don't get your hand anywhere near the stingrays. I was worried about the sharks, and they said, no, no, the stingrays will munch your hand. The stingray, you know, grabbed my fingers and went chomp, chomp, chomp. And, you know, just the plates that hitting each side of it was, yeah, it felt like I'd some been smashed by a hammer. So, yeah, <laughs> they don't have wow. sharp teeth, but they do, they've got quite powerful jaws. <laughs> <laughs> what would be like, what's your favourite, like, fact about a ray? What's a really cool fact that you like? One of the most interesting things is they all give birth to live young, except for the skates. Now, the skates, which are probably the biggest family group, all lay eggs. So majority of rays actually give birth to live young. So they give birth to you know, small miniatures of themselves. Like in the case of stingarees, which are a small species in Australia, most of them are only 30 centimetres long at the longest and that. So their babies are you know, like five centimetres long. Well, your two metre wide um, smooth stingray will have a baby that's like 15 centimetres wide. So they look like a miniature version of the parent. You rarely see the babies because they just disappear into the deep water or mangroves or somewhere to hide because they obviously get preyed upon by other marine life. Rays and skates. They're often referred to like rays and skates. What is the difference between a ray and a skate? Skates are virtually uh, just another member of the, the ray family. Like there's 26 families of rays and there's, within that there's three different um, families of skates in there. The main difference between them, they look exactly the same as any other ray, except for they don't have tail spines. They don't have the um, barbs. But instead, they're actually covered, their tails are actually covered in sharp horns, which can also cover their back, which is they use as a defensive weapon. It just, you know, makes them a bit tougher to eat when you've got you know, a thorny covering on your skin. Um, and so they've got a short tail, which is covered in these thorns. But as I said, the main difference is that they you know, lay eggs rather than giving birth to live young. So that's why a lot of times they're called, you know, people say raised in skates as if there's a different group, but yeah, they are a member of the Ray family. Oh, wow. What are your two favourite Rays? <laughs> it's hard to nail it down to two. <laughs> <laughs> what comes um, to mind first? I'd have to say one of the most spectacular Rays or group of Rays is the Butterfly Rays. And I've only ever seen one. I'm still you know, loving to see another one, but they're a small group of rays. And these are, they're called butterfly rays. But they're not shaped like a butterfly. They're more shaped like a surfboard. They're actually rectangular in shape. And some of the bigger ones are like two meters wide. But they've also got this tiny little stumpy tail. So they're also called a rat tail ray. But they're as flat as a pancake as well. So they're quite a weird ray to see. And I've seen one off Brisbane here in Morton Bay over 20 years ago. And I've been dying to see another one since, but haven't found another one. So I keep looking everywhere for them because they're mainly found in more estuary environments. So where I live in here in Brisbane, we get them in Morton Bay, but we don't get to dive in you know, spots in the bay very often where they're actually found. So, so the butterfly rays are one that I really love. And another one, I love skates. Skates would have to be one of my favourites because one of the things that I've noticed uh, when I was diving in Melbourne quite a few years ago, I, when I found my first skate was the Australian thornback skate, was that they walk across the bottom on their fins. What? Now, yeah, I was watching that. I came across these two and instead of, you know, 
when you normally come across a ray and it takes off, it you know, you know, flaps its uh, fins really hard to take off or you know, even if it's just cruising, it will just slowly ripple the side of its fins. But I watched these two slowly move across the bottom and they were using the tips of their fins, you know, rotating side to side and pulling themselves across the bottom on their fins, which was an amazing thing to see. And it wasn't documented at the time and I think it's been noted since then. But yeah, um, I don't know if it happens in all skates because I've only ever seen two species of skates and the other one, it was a lot bigger than the Melbourne skate and it just swam off normally. But so, yeah, that's quite interesting behaviour to see walking walking rays. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. And so, like, that's a pretty cool experience to, like, see a ray just kind of walking along the bottom. But what are some of your other, like, favourite ray experiences? What have you seen that's, like, you're just like, wow, that was really cool? Uh, well, top of my list to see for years was to see a shark ray which is also called the bowmouth guitar fish. Now, these look prehistoric. They look like they've got the tail of a shark, and but their head is quite round snout. They're like, similar to the shovel noses, a very round snout. And they've also got these um, thorny textures across the back of their body and a spotted pattern, so they're quite pretty. And they're very popular in aquariums, but they're rarely seen. And we were diving in Papua New Guinea off Port Moresby, and... We had a group of very experienced divers on board that we worked out between the lot of us on the boat. We had like 15,000 dives and we were cruising along the wall and here was a shark ray cruising along the other way. And my wife saw it first and she banged a tank to get our attention. And then we looked out in the blue and saw this ray cruising on the wall. And it was at that point I cried underwater because I had a macro lens on my camera, not a wide angle lens because this thing was two and a half meters long. Just I was just staring at it and I thought, oh, yeah, damn, I'm, I'm just going to take a photo anyway. So I backpedaled as far as I could with my macro lens and could, took a couple of photos and got it. And you can see it in the photo to proof that I saw it. That, yeah, it is a spectacular animal to see and was one of those encounters I'll never forget. You know, crying underwater, but I managed to get a couple of photos. That <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen another one since, but I'm still hoping to see one because we do get them off Brisbane where I am and slightly north at um, Rainbow Beach. They do, they've got one that comes in every couple of weeks and that. So I'm hoping to get up there sometime and see it. So uh, last time I was up there, had it, they had it that came the next day. So... It's um, one of those beautiful rays and yeah, I'm still hoping to see it again and get some really good photos. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so that's a, like a guitar ray, guitar shark. Yeah. They're actually a member of the wedge fish family, which is, there's been a big revision in 2016. There was a big revision of all the rays. The number of species increased by, you know, over a hundred because they realized that uh, a lot of the families, a lot of the species they were, grouping together or you know thought were the same species were completely different so like the stingray family especially um almost doubled in numbers because they you know realized there's all these new species they hadn't realized and one of the most common species was the blue spotted mass ray or the blue spotted stingray which they thought was one species spread right across the indo-pacific region and they now realize it was eight different species yeah and i think they're one of the they're one of my favorite rays is the blue spotted ones and it's just amazing. Like, I think recently we were like kind of um, chatting over social media about um, you often see the blue spotted ones in the sand, but when I was in Komodo, you actually see them sitting in the coral. All the blue spotted rays were like nestled amongst the coral, which is really crazy. I was amazed to see that photo you posted. Yeah, um, I've never seen them sitting in the coral like that when I was in Komodo. So I'll be dying to get back there to see that. But yeah, that's a very unusual behavior than sitting in the coral because they're, yeah, they're ones that do love sitting in the sand and hiding in the sand. Yeah. And so that's another really interesting, like an interesting thing that like a lot of people are really into sharks, as we were saying earlier, 
but rays they're just so mysterious still as you said there's species we don't know about there's behaviors we have no idea about and yeah just because they're so closely related to sharks they get a little bit forgotten i think sometimes don't they people are more fascinated by sharks because you know everybody thinks that they're more dangerous than that and i don't think there's any horror movies with rays in them <laughs> not yet <laughs> a lot of horror movies have sharks in them so you know sharks have always fascinated people a lot more and you get a lot of dives that get into, you know, a lot of people get into diving because they're hoping to see sharks or, you know, experience sharks. But it's not quite the same with rays. It doesn't have that same romantic or, you know, scary, you know, a lot of connotations which, you know, get dragged along with it. So, you know, after Paul Steve Irwin was killed, obviously they got a lot of media coverage, but then that seems to have died off again. And, you know, yeah. But yes, it's not the publicity around rays as there is with sharks and that. So, If you are a bit of a ray nut, or you want to see rays, where would you go? What's the best place to see a whole bunch of rays together? Well, it depends on, you can go to lots of different spots. You know, if you're in Melbourne, of course, you can just you know, go to your local jetties and that because you've got the regular population of smooth stingrays that hang under most of the jetties because they um, like to clean up the scraps for the fishermen and chuck into the water. But in Melbourne as well, under those jetties, you also get you know, quite a few different species of stingarees. You get the spotted stingaree and the sparsely spotted stingaree are quite common under the jetties. And you also get your southern fiddler ray. They're quite common under the jetties. So Melbourne's a good spot. Is always there, but if you want to go and see like spectacular ones like manta rays, and you come up to Lady Elliot Island, it's one of the best spots in Australia to see manta rays. You can snorkel with manta rays there, and there's quite a few ray species that are also hanging around Lady Elliot. So you'll see stingrays and eagle rays, and the odd shovel nose as well. Eagle rays are particularly amazing, I think. They've just got such a weird head, don't they? Yeah, but now yeah, there's even the weirder head is that the cow nose rays. You don't get them down in Melbourne. We get them off the Brisbane here. But they actually form into massive schools, the cow nose rays. And it's hard to describe in a podcast what they look like. But if you could imagine an indented head that's indented both ways. So very hard to see. You'd have to look up a photo of a cow nose ray to understand what I'm talking about. But it looks like they've been smacked in the head by a hammer in you know, four <laughs> different directions. You'll get a school of them go past overhead especially and you'll there'll be several hundred of them in a big school and they just they fly past and very quick so they're hard to get photos of i still haven't really got a good photo of them but you know i used to get you now see them more often when i had rolls of film in the camera and i always have we run out of film and i'd get a big school come past me but uh, we do get them off brisbane quite regularly at this time of the year but it's they're a spectacular sight to see Oh, I think that's going to have to be added to my bucket list. Like my ray bucket list will be like schooling cow nose rays. Southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales is a really good hot spot area for rays. Like we get off Brisbane, we get about eight different species of stingrays. We get the cow nose rays, we get eagle rays, and we get manta rays in summertime. So we get a good variety off Brisbane. So one of the spot, one of the reasons why I love living in Brisbane is the good variety of rays we get here all the time. And we also get... Another one of my favourite species is the, the coffin ray, which is a type of electric ray, which we haven't ah. spoken about. Should have mentioned one of the most fascinating facts about rays is that there's uh, three families of electric rays. They're quite unusual in that they've got modified muscles that actually can generate electric shocks and up to 200 volts. And having touched quite a few of them, I can tell you it is quite a, a big shock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember when I was first learning to dive, I accidentally put my hand in the sand and it happened to be on, on a num ray. And yeah, as you said, it is quite a shock, you know, especially underwater, you yeah. don't expect it. Yeah, so they're a fascinating um, creature. And we get the most common one we get in Australia is called the coffin ray. You don't end up in a coffin if you touch one. 
it's just the shape of it. Um, but it's in a family all its own and it's only found in Southern Australia. Um, but yeah, they do give you a nasty shock and, you know, and having the, have, being as silly as I am, I have been zapped quite a few times, digging them up to have a look at them, to study them and, you know, to find out more about them. So yeah, I am some, somebody who's probably been zapped about 50 times. So. <laughs> <laughs> like Homer Simpson, I haven't learned. I just keep going back and getting zapped each time. <laughs> Well, it's just such a weird feeling because, yeah, you're not touching an electric fence or something. You just touch it. You accidentally touch an animal and then, yeah, your arm starts spasming about it. You go, what? Because I knew about them and that. And when I touched them, I wanted to actually feel the muscles, how they move to generate that shock. So I keep my finger on a bit longer and you can actually feel the muscles underneath rubbing together and that to generate that electric shock. So I wouldn't recommend it for listeners at home but if you're stupid like me and you're curious then you know it's quite an interesting experiment but you expect to get a nasty electric shock up your arm <laughs> and so they you just said they do that by like rubbing muscles together yeah they've got they've, they've got they've rubbed two sets of muscles together which you know one you know positive one negative pole so it creates an electric energy and they use their electric shocks to stun prey that's what it's mainly for and defense as well so each time they um use a shock it, it weakens their field they've got to regenerate so if they're hunting prey and they zap it several times each shock the first one might be 200 volts the second one might be 150 the third one might be 100 volts so it keeps losing charge so then they've got to store up the batteries again by resting for you know, a couple of hours and that till they can regenerate it but the interesting thing is they'll actually do backflips if you start annoying them and so they've obviously do that to predators that try and grab them they'll actually backflip so they actually hit them so if you disturb one in the sand, especially at night, they'll actually charge out of the sand and do a backflip and try and hit you to try and get you to back off. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ray acrobatics. Yeah. So electric rays are interesting and yeah, they're another one of you know, fascinating species. Yeah. The coffin ray is the most common electric ray we get in Australia, but there is you know, like the Tasmanian num ray off Tasmania, which I still haven't found. They're a bit hard. And then there's a couple other species, but a lot of them are found in deeper water in Australia, which is unfortunate. You're more likely to see them at overseas locations. Like I've seen electric rays in the Red Sea before and that. So there are quite a few different species. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our uh, Ray episode. Thank you, Nigel, very much uh, for being on. And if people want to see some of your work and some photos uh, or books, uh, where should they go and what books should they check out? Well, come to have a look at my website, nigelmarshphotography.com, and you'll see all my books there. I haven't actually got a book on rays, which I'd love to do a book on rays, but I have got a book on sharks, which includes a section on rays. Now, diving with sharks is, you know, we've, I've talked about doing another one on diving with rays, which would be a nice follow-up, but I'd like to get a lot more photos. Um, but you, you'll see some rays. I've also got a kid's book called The A to Z of Sharks and Rays which is actually a nice kid's book on sharks and rays. But unfortunately, that's almost sold out. So I'm hoping they'll do a reprint of that because it's been quite popular. But you can also go to my, the Facebook group. We've got the Ray Photography group where everybody shares their photos of rays and you'll see and ask questions. And we've actually got a lot of uh, ray scientists are members of the group. And so sharing research and that. And we've got, we're trying to do a little bit of research with the group because we've got two local rays off Brisbane, which we're trying to confirm the species of. So we're trying to get some DNA samples of those to confirm. One's the blue spotted marsh ray, which according to the experts at the moment, it is the coral sea marsh ray, but we believe it's the Australian marsh ray. So we've got to prove that with the DNA, but then it, there is a possibility it could be a, a new species altogether. And it, it's, it's an interesting one because it's one I noted 
probably 30 years ago that it wasn't completely different to the tropical blue spotted stingrays that they had. We said our one is completely different. It must be a different species and nobody at the time thought about it. But now they've proved that there's actually six or more different species of blue spotted marsh rays. So we have been proved correct that yeah, <laughs> it was different. It blows my mind that there's you know species just off Brisbane that we don't even know about. Sea Creatures Podcast is hosted, produced and edited by myself, Matt Testoni. You can see more of my photography on Instagram, Matt underscore Testoni underscore photography, on my webpage, mtunderwatermedia.com. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and visit our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Podcast. Production assistance by George McGrath, and music by Dan Musil, and his beautiful sounding slide guitar. Tune in next time to hear all about the mantis shrimp with dive instructor Melanie Hansen. This has been the Sea Creatures Podcast. Over and out.